weeks in, we are into our third week. We looked at uh, fundamentals of parenting, uh, and what are our, last week we looked at our basic responsibilities and roles. What does God actually expect for us as parents, and how do we uh, do that with grace and with uh, and with um, not being too hard on ourselves and not being too easy on ourselves. And today we're going to be looking at diving into one particular aspect of parenting, and that's the art of connection. The art of connection. Because I think a ton of our parenting is predicated on the connection that exists, whether good or bad, uh, between you and your child. And so we're going to be using connection largely today in the positive sense, meaning there is a good connection. So if I say connection, you're largely going to be meaning, okay, I'm connected with my child. We're going to talk about how we figure that out. Um, But connection, I work to define it. Um, My definition that I came up with, I'm sure it could be improved, but I gave it a go. I said, connection is a bond of understanding and warm affection in this case between you and your child, which creates a context for loving confidence, effective communication, and relational resilience. And we're going to break that down as we go through. But at the core, what is it? It's a bond of understanding and warm affection that exists between you and your child. Now, that's actually a decent definition of connection for any relationship, right? Spouses need to be connected, and they need to have a bond of understanding and warm affection, creating a context for loving, confidence, effective communication, relational resilience. Uh, But that's a really mutual uh, connection. With you and your child, it might be a little more one-sided. Do you need to feel that the child, do you need to feel that the child understands you deeply? No, not so much. That's, you know, that's for other (laughs) other people, you know. That's for your spouse, that's for friends, that's, but uh, your child needs to understand that they are understood and that you are warmly affectionate toward them. That gives them the security that they need. All right, key biblical text for this. When I think about this idea, I think of Proverbs twenty-three twenty-six, where Solomon says, My son, give me your heart. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Right? We want to have our children's hearts so that we can best love and serve and give the gospel to them. Because again, what is our goal? We're looking to prepare them for eternal life. We're preparing them to receive the message of eternal life. That is our single mission that we're seeking to pursue. And if we have their hearts then that task becomes possible. Um, If we don't have their hearts, that task is very difficult. So, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Now, that's uh, he's able to ask his son, give me your heart, based on the fact that he's set a context in which the son trusts him. And so his son knows that he can give his dad his heart and it's not going to be poorly used. 
So we need to be setting this context of connection. Uh, our, our theme verse, really, for the course has been Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I think that idea of nourishment, right, if you nourish a plant, you're seeking to care for it carefully, give it the, what it needs in order for it to flourish. Uh, we're seeking to give our children everything they need to flourish. That context of manner where we're doing it in a way that promotes, a, a, a kind and gentle way that promotes its flourishing. Uh, I think uh, that's, the, that's endemic in the, that's, that's contained within this idea of nurture. We need to be nurturers of our children. All right. Now, one of the other interesting things is God actually has connection as part of his grand plan for his children. Right? The ultimate goal for God, for his children, is connection. And I take that from uh, John 17, 3. He wants radical connection between himself and his children. And he wants radical connection between his, his children and their brothers and sisters. This I see from John 17, 3. It says, for this is eternal life. I gave this, this is the verse for the kids for Adawana. This is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the nature of God's intention for his children is connection to himself, knowing him. And then later on, Jesus prays to the Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I in you and you in me, that they may be together in unity. So we see this idea that God has a profound desire for himself to be united in deep fellowship with his children. So connection is God's design. It's what he's looking for as the end goal. All right, so that's, there's our definition of connection. Let's look at why connection is necessary. And I've said connection, number one, is the necessary relationship context for nourishing. It's the necessary relational context for nourishing. This deep bond of understanding and affection is necessary if we're going to nourish our kids. And the reason for that is that people naturally, and you understand this, it works like this with you, people naturally listen to and reveal themselves, right? Communication is a two-way street. We listen and we reveal. We listen and we reveal. And we listen and reveal ourselves to those who we think will care for and understand them, understand us. Right? If we don't believe that the other person is actually interested in understanding and caring for us, even if it's, you know, care isn't deep, I mean, but you, the, you reveal yourself only to people that it's safe to reveal yourself to. And connection provides the context in which that can happen. Our children will naturally listen to us, naturally reveal themselves to us, only when they understand that we care for them and that we're seeking to understand them. So that's what I, where I get loving confidence, right back to the definition, I get loving confidence and effective communication. This two-way flow that you want from your kids. You want to be, have open lines of communication between you and them. And that will only happen if you provide that connection. 
And I, I, I don't know, the picture that came to my mind is, is connection kind of is like the nest for the baby birds, right? It provides the secure, the secure place. In this case, it's not a physical place, it's a relational place. It's a, it's a secure place where they know they can be safe, they know they're going to be cared for, and therefore they feel secure in your love. That's going to allow the back and forth, that's going to allow them to, to open up to you. And why do you want them to open up to you? You want them to open up to you so you can help them sift through the issues of life and you can especially communicate the gospel and apply the gospel to what's going on in their hearts. So, receptivity, their receptivity to the message of eternal life is much stronger when real connection exists. So, a dad who's well-connected with his kid and another dad who's not well-connected with his kid can both talk to his son about the gospel. Both of those men can talk to their kids about their sin, can talk to their kids about the grace that's available in Jesus Christ, can talk to them about the need for saving faith, to place their trust in Jesus. Which child is in a better position to receive that, humanly speaking? Right, it's the child who's, who's the, the one who's actually connected with his dad is going to be much more able and willing to receive that instruction. So it's the necessary relational context for nourishing. It's also the necessary relational context for your exercising your parental authority. Now this might seem, this might not seem to follow, but think about it. When you exercise your parental authority, especially if you are uh, crossing the will of your child, right? You're, you're, you're stepping in as the authority to correct, to discipline, to, um, to adjust what's going on with them, right? That is, that has to have a relational foundation. If you will, connection is the bridge. Connection is the bridge that can bear the weight of you exercising your parental authority in correction or in discipline. If you don't have that connection, if that connection is weak, then when you ex attempt to exercise parental authority in discipline and correction, there's, a, there's a, a chance the relationship will collapse, or at least that you're going to be making a, a huge withdrawal. Right? I mean, isn't that a sense? Our, our relationship, relationships are, are always a matter, if you will, of putting in deposits, right? And then sometimes we take, sometimes there's withdrawals. Does that, does that make sense, relationships, if I use that metaphor, right? We're constantly either making deposits with relationships or we're making withdrawals with the relationship. And so you either have more capital, more money in the bank, or less money in the bank, depending on what you've done in, t in terms of deposits or withdrawals. Now, let's think about it. If, I need to, if, if, I, if my child's gone way over the line and I've got to actually bring some significant weight of correction and discipline, what am I about to do with the bank account? I'm about to make a withdrawal. <laughs> I'm about to make a withdrawal. I have to have enough money in that bank to be able to make that withdrawal and have that not, to have things go bankrupt, right? And the connection, the connection allows 
for that withdrawal to be small, if you will. So what this does is connection is what allows us to... It allows making, requiring obedience of our kids. It makes that sweet. It makes it sweet. Right? If, if you, again, let's take a dad that's well-connected with his son and a dad that's not well-connected with his son. This dad, who's well-connected, gives his son a command. And he's well-connected with him. How, how is that command likely to be received? If it's, assuming it's a reasonable command. What do you think, in your experience? Depends on the son. <laughs> yeah, the son's part, you know, this isn't, this isn't just one party that's involved, but if you've got a good connection, it does recover. It, 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 it maybe if he's hurt or something, it recovers quickly. Yes, if, you, if he's convinced you at the end of the day understand and are affectionate, and have affection for him, you issuing that command is, is, is more likely to be received with, okay, sure, Dad. Right? If you have no money in your bank account with your kid and you issue a command, how's that going to go? Is that likely to go better or worse? It's likely to go worse. So connection, I, I could use that as another connection, is, is the money you have in your bank account, your relational bank account with your kid. You want to you be constantly putting in, investing, in that relationship, investing in the connection, so that when you need to exercise parental authority, either by requiring obedience or disciplining for disobedience, it can bear the weight. So, again, it's, it's, all, it's like a bridge. You've got you to make sure that the bridge can bear even the heaviest of loads, because every once in a while, even in the best situation, you're going to have to put a whole lot of weight to bear behind your parental authority. You want to make sure that the bridge can... can can weather it. Okay, I'll stop there for a second. Questions on either the nature of connection or why it's necessary. So what are ways that uh, if the bank account is getting low, what are, what are just um, good ways to, to sort of foster connection? Yeah. So that's the necessity of connection. Now we're going to look at the components of connection. The components of connection. What are the things that make up a good connection? Number one, I think you need to have a respect for them as a fellow image bearer of God. Right? Now what does that mean? It means that when God created Adam in his image, Adam then, Genesis 5 says, had a son named Seth. And he was in Adam's image. And so the image of God was transferred. So your kid has, bears the image of God independently of you, although they get it from you. But they're an image bearer of God. You need to respect that. What does that not mean? Well, it does not mean that you treat them as a peer within the functionality of the household. Right? So your kids are not your peers, and you do not need to treat them as such. But 
So you don't treat, you don't have to treat, the respect that you treat them with is not the same respect you give to your spouse, who is a peer. But you do need to respect. You need to respect that your child is an individual. An individual that's distinct from you, and that God has an eternal purpose for them. God has an eternal purpose for them that's distinct from his eternal purpose from you. And they're not just an extension of your agenda. I think often we think of our kids as, I think we treat our kids as extensions of our agenda. So we have our agenda in place, and we're just moving forward with that agenda. The kids are supposed to be part of that agenda. If they're getting in the way, we get them in the way. So, but, but they're, they're unique, they're distinct, they're not you. You have to respect them that God has given them life and he has an eternal destiny for them. Number two, it requires understanding. Connection requires understanding. As validated by them feeling truly understood. All right, so Proverbs 25 Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. We'll paraphrase it. The purpose of, a kid's, of your kid's heart is like deep water. A man of understanding will draw it out. Your goal is to seek to draw out from the deep waters of your child. So, this requires lots and lots and lots of listening. It requires lots and lots of listening. And by the way, that's most easily established when? Early or late? Early. When are they most naturally inclined to talk to you? When they're 15 or when they're 3? Right? So if you start out when they're 3 and you develop a culture not listening to them, then when they are 15, do they expect you to listen to them? No, but if you've established right off the, if you've established early on, now I'm, I'm going to talk at the end about how we can recover this if, if we didn't establish it early, but it's when, when my kids were about three, we got into the, into the realm of endless stories. Any of you in that realm of endless stories, the stories that never end, <laughs> right? I tell you what, try not to tune out when you're, when you're three-year-olds on minute five of a story that you lost the plot of back in minute one and a half, right? But they're talking to you. They're communicating. They're revealing themselves to you. And that happens when they're young. So, and it, it, it's, it's difficult, right? Because we're, we're, we tend to be impatient with that. And yet that's, we should see that as, as opportunistic. Now, can you always listen to the, the whole 10-minute version? No. But, you know, we generally want to be in a posture where when our children are speaking, we want to be listening. Now, what if they're not? What if they're not in a communicative mode? And some of us have kids that are naturally less communicative, right? There's just a range of personalities. Some are all day long. And that may frustrate some of you as parents. And then others of them might never say boo to you, and then that frustrates you, others of you as parents. It depends on your personality and theirs. But if they're less communicative, or if they're in a less communicative stage, how do you get them to reveal themselves? 
What does it take? Asking questions. Asking questions. You're trying to draw them out. Open-ended questions. Oh, thank you, David. I didn't have that in there. Fantastic. Okay, it requires intentionality in drawing them out with gentle, patient probing. Gentle, patient engagement, probing, open-ended questions, not yes-no questions. And it, And also... You know, questions, I, I had a situation back uh, in my sending church where I was having difficulty understanding why visit, where I was so excited to engage with visitors, but visitors didn't always seem excited to engage with me. And I couldn't figure out why that was until I had a friend who I hadn't seen in a long time, and he, he came and stayed with my folks for a couple of days, and I went over, and I, I just wanted to know everything that was going on with him. So I just, question after question after question after question. And he, he, he took a break after a while, and he says, Brad, it, it feels like you're interrogating me. <laughs> now, that wasn't my intention. And it was happening with the visitors at church, too. I was just, at, you know, I was just asking them the next question, and the next question, and the next question, because I wanted to find out about them. You know, to give me credit, I was truly interested. But... That does, you know, but, but communication requires you to give of yourself in order for them to, you know, for someone to be willing to reveal themselves to you, they have to understand that, you, you know, you're willing to reveal yourself to them. So I understood, okay, there's got to be a little, so not interrogation, and we can get that way with our kids, especially if we're suspicious of something, <laughs> right? So then we go into interrogation mode, and they don't even finish the answer to the last question, or there's been a pause in the action and the next question comes, right? So this is an interrogation, but it's over the course of time, over the course of many conversations, it's seeking to draw our kids out. All right. It requires a qualified no-judgment zone. Now, what do I mean by that? It mean, I mean that it's not reactionary. When they reveal their hearts... It's not non-reactionary. Now think about it. How does Jesus respond to you when you're broken-hearted and sinful and everything's all messed up and you go to him and you reveal yourself to him? Not that he needs it, but you know how this works. And we go before. You know, how does he respond? Is he like get the get the lightning bolts out right away? Right? Does he explode at us? No, he calls himself. He says, "Come to me because I'm meek." and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And that's the context. That's how we want to be with our kids. We want to be non-reactionary. When Now, it's easy to be non-reactionary if you, if you like what you're hearing, right? It's when, it's when what they're revealing is, is, is confused or even a little ugly, that then it's easy to go right to reaction mode, and we need to be patient with that. So, if our children, when... when when our children, when they reveal their hearts, if we immediately jump down their throats, when will be the next time you will get them to reveal themselves to you? Not soon. You just you just taken that bank account and you know taken out a billion dollars from it, and and you got near, nearly nothing, right? I mean. Let's say, you know, God forbid, the day should come when one of your children comes to you and says, you know, Mom, Dad, I, 
I'm ex- I experience homosexual desires, I think I'm gay. The next five minutes is probably the most important of your parenting than, than you perhaps ever going to have. How are you going to react? How are you going to respond? When something is revealed that's difficult and ugly and confused. When, when there's a lot of sin in the mix. Now, I'm not going to... I'm not going to explain what I think you should do in that situation. But you should seek to be generally non-reactive or under-reactive. You need to apply truth when they're revealing their hearts, when things are ugly. It doesn't... What I'm not saying, i got to qualify this, it does not mean that we don't have to address what's coming out of their hearts. But the manner in which we address what's coming out of their hearts, if they're coming to you revealing themselves... That, that puts them in a very vulnerable situation with respect to you. And that has to be treated very carefully. Because we want to have the best opportunity, the best opportunity to, um, to stay in the game with them in the long haul. And that means you're seeking to continue to keep the dialogue open. So you're addressing, of course you're addressing, but you're not addressing it out of, you know, anger or, or you, know, you might be angry. You might be deeply wounded by something that they're presenting to you. You know, when you find out that they've, you know, been sleeping out or something. Like, you know, they crawled, crawled out the bedroom window at three in the morning last night and went and, you know, took the car, right? But if they're revealing themselves to you, you're trying to, you're trying to keep that connection and, and stay in the game. Are you going to have to apply correction? Yes. Are you going to have to apply discipline? Yes. But you're going to seek to do that in, this, in, in a way that continues to keep the connection. So... As we seek to understand our kids, it requires listening, it requires asking questions, and it requires a qualified no-judgment zone, which means that we're we're not overreacting when and not jumping down our kids' throats when they reveal their hearts. Now, in in general, one other thing about uh, understanding is, uh, in general, when you're dealing with uh, understanding in a situation... The one in authority needs to let the one under authority have the final word as to whether or not you're connected. Right? So let's think about this. Men with your wives. Who gets to decide if your connection is, if your connection is strong? Your wife. You don't get to say, honey, we're well connected. What are you talking about? Right? There's all sorts of things because you are the authority in that relationship. There's all sorts of, and and you're also the duller in the relationship that make that you not the fit uh, arbiter of whether or not you're connected. And in the same way with your kids. And you're same same with your kids. Now, are you going to go to your kids and say, are we well connected? I don't know that you're going to do that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how well you think you're connected with them. It matters whether they think you're connected with them. They, they're the ones that ultimately are going to get to decide, which you're going to be able to sense based on their reactions. All right, acceptance. So, understanding, acceptance. I love Romans 15.7. Paul's just been talking about a bunch, of, uh, a bunch of differences in opinions and practices in the church in Rome. And then he says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you to the glory of God, or accept one another, other translations say. Acceptance. That's hard to define, easy to, easy to discern. Easy to discern when someone's not accepting you. Okay? What I think acceptance means is it means that you are, you're affirming, you are who God has made you, 
and that is okay with me. I am for you. You know, your child has a personality that God formed, and you need to be okay with who God has made them. That does not mean that you're okay with what they're doing at the present moment. It doesn't mean that they're that you're you're affirming behavior. It doesn't mean that you're affirming sin. It means you're affirming the to, kind of the totality of who they are. Now, in our age, we're a bit confused about that, and especially to go back to the other issue when we're dealing with the homosexual agenda, they say that affirmation of my behavior is intrinsic to affirming me as a person, and we have to say no. We can affirm the personhood, the value, the infinite worth, and the uh, image of God in someone while not saying, we're going to therefore affirm you in your sin. But it does mean that globally, we're accepting of our child in who that God has made them. It's not saying, it's okay that you're not in Christ. (laughs) It's okay that you're running from the gospel or you're making sinful choices. Uh, But it does mean accepting them for who they are, not who we wish they were. Not who we wish they were. Not who we hope they will one day be. It's accepting them for who they are now. I think it means, I think practically that means that we're not, our, our natural every moment posture toward them is not that we're critical, that we're not constantly critical. Right? Our child should not be made to feel that they can do no right in your eyes. Right? If your child thinks, it doesn't matter what I do, dad's going to be, dad's going to be disapproving of me. Right? Now, um, I, I've, I've heard this with people. This, I'm not necessarily saying I've seen this from the parent and child, but I bet it happens, and I know it happens. What if you've got a person that you're engaged with, and every time you say something, they feel the need to correct you, even if you're only five degrees off? You know, they, they, just, they just can't let you just say something. They have to come back with their perspective on it. And usually they're issuing at least a, a little bit of an adjustment to what you're saying. Isn't that kind of tiring when you're, when you're talking to someone like that? You know, just let me, just, just be okay with what I've said, you know. <laughs> and, and I think that's the, be the case. You know, our kids are young and immature with sinful hearts. You know, you know how many ways could you correct their perspective even if, when it's off by five degrees? You know, all the time. Because their perspective's, you know, four years in the making, you know. It's, it, it's, it's always, it's always going to be off. Right? You're, you're seeking to, to help them gain perspective, but if you're constantly coming back at them when there's no need to and, and offering corrective, when there's, there isn't really, you know. I mean, sometimes my, my kids will say something factually incorrect, you know, about the world. You know, I mean, they're, they're just talking. They just talk. Now, every time I hear them say something factually incorrect, do I need to correct them? You know, I don't. I don't. If it's not important, if they're going to learn it next year in science class, you know. So I just, I just generally, you know, I, I, I say, you know, because correction requires a relational withdrawal. So if I don't have to, if there's not anything, you know, that's for the good of their souls that I need to in that moment, you know, let it go. So our kids need to not feel like we're constantly criticizing them. By the way, that applies to your spouse too. Um, you know, we're correcting, but we're doing it in a nourishing way. 
and, and you think of a plant again, right? You might need to, a, a, a one branch of a plant might be going totally wonky and you need to actually apply all sorts of pressure to get that plant back into line, back into alignment. But that doesn't mean you're whacking the, the other parts of the plant all the time, right? Whack, 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 you know, get, get into line, right? And I think we can do that with our kids. But we're, so there's going to be times and there's going to be seasons with particular kids when discipline and correction are going to need to be frequent. You might, I mean, I've had, you know, I've had folks say, I, I feel like I'm spanking my kid about seven times every day right now. That, that, may be net, that may be a good thing to be doing. That may be the season to do that. But now work, you know, you've, you've issued the fifth spanking of the day, but now work and see what can you do to affirm them in ways that you might, you know, you might not even think you need to. It's like, it's like on those days you can say, you tied great job, Right? Find something to find something to affirm, so you can be making relational deposits, even while the necessity of requiring obedience means you're having to make relational withdrawals. You're trying to keep the connection. All right, acceptance is is especially hard when kids are different from us. When we have particular kids that are different from us, because we naturally accept ourselves and treat ourselves as the standard. And so deviations from the standard are harder to accept. I'll give a few quick ways I think this often comes out. Uh, Ladies, sorry to pick on you, but I think gender difference is a a way that it's hard sometimes. I think moms can often find it difficult to accept their sons because they're boys and they're acting like boys. I think it can go the other way, but I've seen it more with moms who are just trying, just tearing out their hair, trying to figure out what this creature is that's come into their house, and the answer is, it's a boy. <laughs> and you got to accept, you got a boy, and you got to rely on your husband who was a boy, you know, and knows how boys work, and they, they're different from girls, right? And and you got to accept their masculinity, and even respect their masculinity, you want to be, you want to be affirming and uh, promoting that masculinity because you want them to grow up to be a man. Right? So you've got to accept your children. Uh, differences in personality. What if you're an extrovert with a shy kid? Are you going to constantly get frustrated when they're, when, they're, when they're just acting more diffident than you would like to see them do? Uh, you've got to accept the fact that God's made them with a different personality type. So the essence of acceptance, I don't like usually the messages, the theological messages of Veggie Tales, but this one's not bad. God made you special. And then add Mr. Rogers that I like you the way you are. Not the way I hope you will be. Not the way I wish you were, but I like you. That goes right into the next, the last thing I think is necessary for connection, which is affirmation and affection. Affirmation and affection. It's truly liking your kids, which they ultimately can't do anything to stop you from liking them. It may seem that way, but I think that's not, I think that's not out of bounds. You know, and that's just how God deals with us, Right? And some of us struggle with the idea that, you know, how can God like me? And yet he does. He does. And, and your, on your worst day, he likes you. And on your kid's worst day, you can like them. If you find yourself fundamentally disliking your children, 
Write this down if you need to. If you find yourself fundamentally disliking your child, you need to repent. You need to repent. That's, that's just sin. And God will give you the grace to repent. If you go before the Lord and ask, you, and ask Him, Father, I do not like my child right now. Please help me. Will He answer that prayer? Is that prayer within His will, do you think? You need to repent. One aspect, one thing that I think builds, uh, builds this is verbal affirmation and affection. Now, not everyone is the same, right? You've got some people that are easier with words, harder with words. You might not be the most expressive personality, but you can still, you can still try. Don't worry. There's still ways that you can affirm your children. Now, I appreciate another caveat. I appreciate that Actions speak louder than words. So when you hear someone that says, my dad never told me he loved me. Well, did he show you he loved you? Let's look at the ways that he showed you he loved you. That's more from a bygone era, but it still, it still crops up. Um, but uh, verbal affirmation, when it's truly meant and honest, helps create the connection, helps create the context for relational security. Verbally affirming our child. That's why I think we ought to be generous with praise. We ought to be generous with praise. You know, when, if your child is going to hear from you when they've done something wrong, but is not going to hear from you when, you've, when they've done something well or something right, I think that's an imbalance. We need to be verbally affirming when our children obey or when they succeed and do something well. So, be generous with praise. Be more generous with praise than with criticism. And be generous with words that convey affection. Be generous with words that convey affection. My professor of family ministry, named Randy Stinson, he gave me some, some things. My kids, maybe Isaiah was born, I don't know. But he was talking about what he says to his kids as he helps, as he's seeking to build this connection. Now, He's saying all these things, and they're true. He's not saying, he's not blowing smoke to his kids. But he, he said things like this. He said, I say to my kids, I'm so happy to be your daddy. I'm so happy to be your daddy. I'm so glad God put you in our family. I'm so glad you're in our family. I thought, wow, that's good. That, you know, that's a little different from saying, I love you. I love, I love you. I love saying I love you to my kids. But then I, I, love, I love saying to them, I'm so happy to be your dad. God gave me this incredible thing. He let me be your daddy. And I think things like that just help build connection. So maybe that's something, you know, obviously, who's, who tends to be better at verbal affirmation, moms or dads? Moms. But there's exceptions to those rules, so take it if, if you need it. But dads maybe especially work at, work at, at building some of that in. Maybe, and then I think, I won't linger on this, but physical affirmation as well, right? Loving touch, appropriate loving touch. And again, not every parent's the same and not every kid has the same appetite to it, but God intends for touch to communicate. And God intends for touch to communicate affection. Um, you know, give your kids hugs. You know. Um, all right. What facilitates connection? What facilitates connection? Now we're to more of uh, Steve's. Genuine interest. 
genuine interest. Think about Jesus with the woman at the well. How did he build connection with her? He took a genuine interest in her as a person and in her affairs. Now, this is a matter of choice, not a matter of natural inclinations. You can choose to be interested in your kids and what they're interested in. It does not matter if you are naturally interested in what they're interested in. Your kid is interested in all sorts of things. And yes, your job is, in one sense, to shape those interests, and you naturally will do that just because they're your kid. But it's not your job to determine what they're going to be interested in. Your job is to get on their wavelength and be interested in what they're interested in. Right? You're seeking to create connection. And why? Let's go back to the basic mission. If you communicate honestly, that you're interested in what they're interested in, then when you come around and you seek to talk to them about what you're most interested in, which is that they know Jesus Christ, they're going to be more receptive to that. So, you, so, you know, if they're interested in Legos and you're interested in baseball, yeah, then, you know, encourage them to try out for baseball. But you better be interested in Legos. Or older, if your kid's interested in motorcycles and you couldn't care less about motorcycles, you better get interested in motorcycles and learn a few of their names. Right? You get on board with their wavelength and be interested in them and their interests. You often, not always, you often get points for trying. You get no points for not trying. You get no points for not trying. You might not get points. For, you might try and you might, you know, be such a dweeb about it, you know. I'm sure that'll happen with me sometime. But you often get points for trying. How do you think it makes them feel when you ask them to educate you on something that, that excites them? Hey, tell me about that. I don't know anything about that. You've obviously read, some, read up on, started reading up on this. Tell me about it. Well, now they get to tell Dad what they've learned. Something that Dad doesn't know. All right. It takes sacrifice... And patience. It takes sacrifice and patience. It'll, it means allowing your kids to interrupt your routine. It means allowing your kids to interrupt your routine. Little kids, big kids, you know, are not necessarily on board with your routine, and you have to be ready to step out of your lane in order to get on theirs. Right? When, when they're little, that means that you're in the middle of a thousand different things, including a diaper change, and your kid wants to connect. And you gotta, you got to make that work. It might be, just wait a minute, honey, and then we'll talk about your story. Older kids, I think, one, I, one thing I've heard is that older kids like to connect at weird times, especially when you want to go to bed. So if your kid comes to you at 11 o'clock, and you're just about, oh, you're aching to see your pillow, and they come and they say, Dad, can we talk? What's the right response to that? 90% of the time, 99.9% of the time, of course, of course. And, you know, you know I, I work from home sometimes. I have sermons to write. I have talks to prep and things like that. You know, Dad, you know, let me, sh- let me, sh- look what I did. Look at my picture. You know, what am I going to do? I'm, okay, I'm out of my flow, right, already. How, you know, what, what am I going to do? Am I going to take time? Do you know Winston Churchill's grandson, while he was in the middle of World War II, when, he would, when his grandson would come into his office, he'd close whatever thing he was doing to fight Hitler and the Germans, and he'd say, Winston, because his grandson's name was Winston, what shall we do today? 
till we make the trains, you know. And then, and then they, you know, it didn't. He didn't know that his grandfather was fighting World War II. He just knew that his grandfather wanted to connect with him. All right, or making relational deposits. All right, time. I know you've heard that quality time is more important than quantity time. That's probably true, but quantity time is essential. You just have to log the hours. Because you won't know when quality, you can't schedule quality time. So you need quality time and quantity time. Your kid needs to be with you and talking with you and you talking to them. It just is going to take time. That does not mean you have to be at every game, I don't think. I don't think it means you have to be at every event. It does mean you need to be logging time. Jesus was with his disciples for three years. That was a lot of quality time, but it was a lot of quantity time too. All right, we're running out of time here. Opportunities for time and conversation, because time and conversation are where it's at. Time and conversation, those are your main tools. I use bedtime. Dads, you're, 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 if, if you're a more traditionally structured home, you've been at work, your wife's had more time with the kids, bedtime's a great opportunity for you to be connected with them to be talking about spiritual things, to be just engaging with them about what's going on. Tag-alongs, when they can come with you, when you can bring them along with you. If you go to the store on a Saturday and you leave, don't, don't leave your kids at home. You know, take them to the hardware store with you if you at all can. You know, you're just seeking to create connection. Working alongside them, you know, working on a task together. Uh, where you're actually not concerned about how well the task is getting done, but you're worried and interested in the connection. That's the highest priority. And I think you're just being opportunistic. You're being opportunistic for all the different things that God can put in your lap as times to connect. And are you going to take advantage of that? All right. Last word. Recovering connection. I think this is way easier. It's way easier to, to, to work with when our kids are little. It's just it's so obvious. It's easier to work when their kids are little. That does not mean that you can't recover it when they're older. And if you find that you've got an older kid that you're not connected with, that does not mean that you have lost the war. You may have lost some battles, but it's you. You have you. It's never too late for you to start accepting, listening to, draw, seeking to draw out your kids doesn't matter if they're 40. It's never too late to at least seek to recover connection. God is gracious. All right. I keep wanting to talk about our relationships with our spouse. I keep coming to the end without time. We will get to it, I promise. But for the moment, let me close us in a word of prayer. Father, we want to ask you to help us with our connection with our kids. Help us, Lord, to have these bonds of warm affection so that they have the context where they can uh, communicate with us freely and they can be receptive when we seek to teach them about the gospel and the message of eternal life. Lord, help us to be well connected with our children. We pray for your glory's sake and their good. In Jesus' name, amen.